this search for perfection. If only it weren't so imperfect. Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, managing editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain podcast. is a futile quest. We all know that forecasts are, by their very nature, inaccurate, yet we continue to seek that perfect picture of demand. According to my guest today, Laura Ciceri, founder of Supply Chain Insights, we've gone about it all wrong. She proposes a redefinition of demand planning, one that embraces probability and the inevitability of error. She also tells us how we can get beyond traditional forecasting tools involve the whole organization in a new approach to this age-old challenge and move toward a true end-to-end view of demand. The result? A more responsive supply chain. So here is my conversation with Laura Ciceri. Laura Ciceri, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Bob. How are you doing today? I am doing great. You know, I was at your Supply Chain Insights Summit a few weeks ago, and you said something shocking. I heard you say, almost in passing, you said, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe you said companies are placing too much emphasis on improving the forecast. Is that your belief, and what are you talking about? Well, first of all, thank you for attending our summit and thanks for helping us. We love our relationship with Supply Chain Brain and it was great to have you there. And, uh, you know, I was talking about really changing the conversation and uh, I recently wrote an article where I tried to elaborate on the concept. So I think for so many years we've focused on forecasting to get the perfect number and we've looked at tight integration of the perfect number to supply, and we've tried to put rules around the number to do forecast consumption. So breaking the forecast from a monthly number to a weekly or a daily number. And I think that we've gone about it all wrong uh, in that the redefinition of supply chain planning that I see in the future will embrace the probability of demand. And so our goal won't be to have the best number. Our goal will be to understand the demand pattern. And we will pass the demand pattern in terms of the probability of demand and the bias and the type of distribution, whether it's a normal distribution or a skewed distribution to supply, for more advanced network optimization and inventory management tools that are evolving around concurrent planning. And so, you know, I was really saying, I do believe we should invest in forecasting and try to get it right. But I think that we can't focus on, you know, just the number or one number or the perfect number because demand accuracy is always going to have error. And I think it's more important to understand the pattern than the absolute number. 
that is a great idea, as you say, embrace probability, because once and for all, it does it does admit to the idea that the forecast is always wrong, and yet it doesn't throw the forecast out altogether. So it's a nice combination of things, right? <laughs> well, I hope so. I was actually talking to uh, a guy yesterday who's a supply chain leader I really admire, and I'm doing some research for the book I'm writing, Metrics That Matter. And he said, Laura, why is it we hang our head when we talk about forecast accuracy versus just looking at it like it's part of what we do and it, it's, a, it's a number, right? And we always feel like we have to apologize for it. And I was in a meeting the other day with um, a number of people that aren't that familiar with supply chain and they were like, how do we reduce demand error to zero? <laughs> and I'm like, you know, that is like, you know, diminishing return, right? By the... You know, you're, first of all, you're never going to get there. And second of all, look at the energy you would have to spend on that versus understanding supply chain flows and the probability of demand and market drivers. Yeah, but isn't there a little education required to top management, to the CEO or the COO, who might look at that planner and say, hey, I hired you to forecast demand and you got it wrong? Um, don't they have to understand that that isn't necessarily, a, you know, a a bad thing? Tons of education. Uh, and, you know, it's really quite a problem, Bob, uh, because if you look at talent, talent development, I don't know if you remember the recent research on the fact that demand planners uh, are one of our most critical resources that we can't really hire. And one of the reasons the demand planning role is turning over so much is they don't feel loved and, you know, they don't feel understood. And it's not exactly a positive environment. In fact, in many organizations, it can be a very hostile environment. And so I think the ability for a C-team to use demand planning right is a very big educational effort. And, you know, if there's anything I can do to help you guys at Supply Chain Brain to help me to lead this charge, I'd love to do it. Well, you certainly make those demand planners happy. They'll be a little bit more secure about their jobs in the future. Uh, talk about what you mean when you say you're understanding the demand pattern. Is that basically looking back at history or is that looking at the demand pattern as it's happening right now? Both. So I believe that we implemented uh, data models for demand planning that are too limited in traditional forecasting tools. And let me tell you what I mean by that. And then I also think that we need to invest in demand sensing. Um, and so let's start at the beginning. So the traditional advanced planning models were defined in the 1990s when we didn't really have the computing power we had today. We were limited by 32-bit and 64-bit architectures, and at that point in time, we implemented demand planning, answering the question of what should a manufacturer make or a distributor get ready to produce to fulfill. We didn't answer the question, what are we going to sell? And so as we look at the question of what are we going to sell or what is the market selling, I think that demand models need to move from a item at a location or a SKU-based model to an attribute-based model that can allow us to better match market attributes to customer attributes to forecast market drivers. And our current uh, computing capabilities allow us to have much more robust models to be able to look at attribute-based modeling. 
So I can look at customer preferences. And by doing that, I can look at how products change as I introduce new products or cannibalization or promotions. And I can have a much more aligned model based upon the attributes in the market. Very different way of implementing demand. I do believe demand planning is important. I believe understanding baseline demand is important. I also think that the primary use of demand planning is in tactical planning, where I'm looking at a longer-term horizon to make decisions like how I design the network, what my asset strategy is, what contract manufacturing should be, what the profile of the new product is, what is the profile of my product line. So it's a different set of answers. But I also think that in the traditional advanced planning solution, we developed supply planning to execution. So we developed tactical supply, we consumed the forecast, we took it down into distribution requirements planning or DRP, down to deployment, down to transportation, down to warehouse management. We did not do the same thing in the definition of demand planning on the demand side. We basically broke it into rules, passed it over the fence, and you know we were done with demand. So the evolution of these new demand models are complemented by what I call demand sensing, which allows us to put math against what's happening in the market, multiple order streams, or uh, the use of downstream data, which is either sell through the distribution or sell through the channel or point of sale data or warehouse withdrawal data from the downstream partners to be able to look at the flows of the products through the channel so that I can bring in these multiple streams and I can sense actual purchases or actual movement in the channel in that shorter term duration. It's typically zero to eight weeks usually matches the freeze duration of manufacturing. So the redefinition of demand planning, coupled with the evolution of demand sensing, I think is a real important set of concepts for people to really get their heads around. Yeah, you say the computing power wasn't there, but what has been there, I think, at least since the 1990s with Walmart and Retail Link, is at least in theory, point-of-sale data has been available. So in theory, there could have been more demand sensing, more understanding what's happening in the market. Could there not? Or what was holding it back until now? Bob, this may surprise you, but I think that it's our own mental model. I think that most of the organizations within supply chain groups are supply-centric and that the question they really want to answer is what should they manufacture or what should they distribute? The answer of what am I selling, I think they've assumed that the order represents what they're selling. And there is not a good understanding of a concept that I'm going to call demand latency. And demand latency looks at the time based upon the velocity of sales through the channel that it takes to look at an actual purchase at a retail shelf or at a distributor to an order. So for example, something like detergent is seven days, something like an allergen product could be 45 days, a food service product could be 60 days. And so the order represents a very different level of demand latency. And until companies take responsibility for the channel, the sell through versus the sell in, 
it doesn't become as important. And I think because most supply chain organizations were all about supply, they really weren't about demand. As we move to more of an end-to-end view and we build supply chain groups across commercial teams to start to power growth, to look at how we do better around new product launch or trade promotions or on-shelf availability, people don't come to understand this concept of demand latency, why the order is not representing of demand, and how they need to actually sense demand to be able to design a more agile supply chain. Yeah, I've been hearing for maybe, I don't know, what, 20 years, companies claiming that they're moving to a pull supply chain from a push supply chain, which I guess is old terminology, which requires, describes the same thing you're talking about. And yet, <laughs> they've been talking about it for all these years, but they haven't been doing it. And I guess this demand latency concept is one reason why. Well, you know, push versus pull, I believe, needs to be designed with the right push-pull decoupling points. Uh, but no matter if it's push or it's pull, I can't do better if I have better demand sensing. But until I really get to understand what's happening in the channel and I look at the flows of the channel and I look at how the flows change with new products or with um, trade promotion patterns, I can't really appreciate the concept of demand latency. So I often find, you know, with the slowing of growth, uh, because, you know, we've kind of done our work in growing into new economies and, you know, when the race is now on for Africa or, you know, the slow growth around new products, as people try to, you know, optimize that last mile, they really come to understand demand, demand latency far greater. Yeah. The issue of skew proliferation is like throwing a bomb into the middle of all this. There's just so many more products you have to track, and the life cycles are so short. It almost gets to the point where once you find out something's happening, it's almost too late because another product is coming along. Um, does your model and, and your ideas here address that issue of skew proliferation? Well, skew proliferation uh, causes us to have more difficulty in forecasting increases demand error, and also typically will increase bias. So there's a recent uh, benchmarking study that's an excellent study that's been done by Terra Technology that shows the increase in demand error in consumer packaged goods, shows that there's a 10% increase over the last three years of just number of items, and shows that we've got a bias of 9% on new product launch. And so... As we look at item complexity, uh, what I find is that most people don't realize that it has a tremendous impact on demand accuracy and bias because of people not recognizing cannibalization or being overzealous about a new product launch. But it also increases cycle stock, and I find that most supply chain executives are more focused on safety stock than they are cycle stock. And they don't realize the impact of the change in complexity on cycle stock and in transits. And I don't know, Bob, if you remember the work we've been doing, but we're finding nine out of 10 companies are stuck at the intersection of operating margin and inventories. And a large portion of it, I think, is the item complexity issues. 
and so many new product introductions, as you point out. This is obviously is a problem that's been around forever, but maybe more now. The idea that you're almost essentially flying blind because you have no history of demand for that particular product. How are companies addressing that issue today? Well, the movement to attribute-based planning allows you to get over that issue. So if you take your history to attributes and you build attribute-based models, you will then have history. So you'll be able to model a like product and to be able to do a forecast for a like product based upon the demand patterns. So, um, But it requires more sophisticated models, and it forces us into the long tail of the supply chain where demand error and bias are higher. What about planning horizons today? Are they are the, the, the types of techniques that you're proposing, do they allow for longer planning horizons and more accurate ones, or is it more a question of shrinking the planning horizons and understanding more what's happening right now, almost down to a tactical level? I think it causes the right fit of the planning horizon. Uh, you know, different companies have different planning horizon requirements. I often see people ask the wrong questions around planning horizons. Uh, you know, the tactical planning horizon, which is where demand planning is, it should be for, for the period in which you need to make asset decisions or uh, do things like contract negotiations with carriers or contract manufacturers. Those are tactical decisions. And for a food and beverage company, that's typically 12 to 16 months. For a consumer packaged goods company, that's 18 months. For a pharmaceutical company, that's three to five years. It's a, you know, you've got to right size that horizon based upon what the requirements are. For the demand sensing period, it really should complement what's happening in the manufacturing freeze duration. If you've got a very short freeze duration, then maybe it's short. Uh, you know, if you've got one 12 to 15 weeks, well, that's more of what you should do in demand sensing. And it helps with the translation of demand into uh, both supply chain execution and manufacturing planning. How well do you think companies are doing these days on promotions? Because there aren't that many opportunities to replenish if you have a short-term promotion. You better get it right the first time or at least the first couple of times. Do you think this model is improving the whole idea of promotion uh, management? Well, first of all, it isn't very well understood or totally adopted. So some people will hear me talk about it and they'll go, wow, that sounds pretty academic and theoretical. There's uh, probably 21 companies that I know of that are moving in this direction. But the results are very compelling. You know, the average reduction on inventory is about 11%, and the reduction in bias is about 6%, and uh, the ability to manage slow and obsolete inventory gets to be much higher. So the concepts that I'm talking about are pretty advanced for more, most people. But, you know, when we talk about promotions, you know, that's a very, very, uh, you know, snaky issue uh, because many times promotions are just based upon what we did last year and only 59% of promotions are ever evaluated if there was a lift in demand. And often people shift demand, moving demand from one period to another versus shaping demand, which is increasing baseline lift. And so as we look at promotions, uh, you know, most of our out-of-stock conditions or the shelf for consumer packaged goods are empty 
when a promotion happens because promotions will increase the velocity of the supply chain for that product and it will have a higher lift than uh, instantaneously than is what expected. And so some of the highest out-of-stocks with some of the most costly impacts happen with promotions. And, you know, demand sensing is really critical for promotions, but also promotion planning. Here again, we have a situation, we have a theory or practice that's been around for a long time. What about CPFR, Collaborative Planning, Forecasting, Replenishment, which was created specifically to address the issue of promotions? And yet, suggestions are, I hear people saying, that effort has fallen short to some degree. Could you address that? Well, I think there are three issues that happened with CPFR. Number one, um, we never really institutionalized it at a standards level uh, and put real technology around it. We had uh, CPFR, more pilot-like implementations in the sales account team. But because we never re-implemented demand planning to move a data model from what am I going to sell, what am I going to make, to what am I going to sell, there was no way to synchronize the CPFR data with demand planning. So most operate as an island because we didn't look at a holistic design of demand architectures. The second thing was CPFR assumed that retailers would have good forecast. And by and large, that is not true. So I work with a number of companies that have multiple VMI and CPFR efforts And I say to them, what's the mean absolute percent error of your retailer's forecast? And they kind of laugh and they haven't measured it. But when they do, they'll find that one or two retailers have a forecast worth using. So retail forecast capabilities were a barrier. The second thing was that the data translation synchronization at a product level, a hierarchy level, a calendar level, a unit of measure level was difficult. And without a demand signal repository and the ability to synchronize the data, it became pretty labor intensive. So now let's move forward 10 years. And from the concept, a lot of companies now have demand signal repository capabilities. So we've better enabled the demand data. The second thing is many people are looking at the re-implementation of demands. So, you know, we can work on the synchronization and be able to use the CPFR data. The third thing is, you know, some of the retailers are starting to work on their forecasts, and so we're getting better signals. So I think it was a good idea. We just weren't ready for it, and there were a number of bad executions. What is a company, in your opinion, that is kind of like the poster child for best practices right now in demand forecasting and planning? To me, the company that does demand planning the best is General Mills. Um, And the company, to me, who's done the best job in demand sensing is Rick Sather's work at Kimberly-Clark. And uh, I think, you know, they talk to each other a lot. You know, General Mills and Kimberly-Clark are in what's called the Midwest Consortium. They learn from each other. but I've been very impressed with their, both their uh, diligence, their discipline, uh, their belief in demand, uh, their willingness to embrace demand and do it holistically. This is more of a personal question, relates to your years in this business and what you've seen as these theories kind of advance. What do you think has been 
the most amazing thing you've seen in your years in the business or the biggest surprise or the most gratifying progress? What 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 is really kind of wake you up in the morning every day and, 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 and get you to work? Well, you know, today I got someone who sent me a small note on a report that I did and said, thank you, Laura, for honest sharing of where we're at in supply chain, uh, unbiased. I think that, you know, you know, I, when I do research for the book, leaders say, you know, there's so many supply chain conferences and there's so much, you know, noise out there. Uh, I believe my job is cutting through the noise to help people get the facts. And when I get something like that, it just makes my day because that's what I really want to be is the source of unvarnished truth. But, um, you know, when I look at the evolution of technologies and processes, you know, I see we're on the horizon of just some very exciting technologies if we can open up our minds to embrace the new, whether it's unstructured text mining and sentiment analysis, whether it's digital printing and the Internet of Things and the redefinition of manufacturing planning, whether it's learning and cognitive systems as we look at uh, the evolution of rules-based ontologies, or whether it's uh, the digital supply chain and being able to pass digital images, I think we're just really on the cusp of being able to redefine the supply chain outside in to better service the customer and save the planet. But, you know, our real barrier is our traditional mental models. It's the fact that there's so many people out there that think they know best practice and that you know, supply chain planning is like it was 10 years ago, and it's not going to change. And I really want to be there to help people to see that a supply chain matters. It matters in corporate performance. It matters in terms of social responsibility. And it matters in terms of growth and brand differentiation. And I want to help people to see that vision. Laura, you yourself have a great podcast. Uh, Tell us where we can find that. So it's available on iTunes. Thank you, Bob. Uh, We are trying to capture the voice of supply chain leaders everywhere uh, to tell very short stories. It's six to seven minutes. Uh, We've got 60 podcasts that we've archived. It's our goal to have 75 uh, by Christmas. And what I try to do is get very short interviews with supply chain leaders. And it's available on iTunes. It's, uh, you know, Supply chain, it's called Straight Talk with Supply Chain Insights. Uh, you can find it on iTunes, and if you need the ability to download it, you can go to our website, uh, www.supplychaininsights.com. Okay, great stocking stuffer for the holidays. Laura, thank you so much for helping us to understand this ever-changing world and kind of face the world as it is and uh, embrace probability and yet come up with very accurate ways, much more accurate ways of dealing with demand forecasting. Thanks for being with us. That was Laura Ciceri of Supply Chain Insights. Thank you for listening. I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch nearly 2,000 videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn. 
and follow us on Twitter at SCBrain. See you next time.